good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Dear Father, we do pray as we come again and again, and our habit also must be to express our dependence on you, Lord, for you to be at work as we've read and as we pray in us, Lord, to do that which is pleasing in your sight. And so praying for your Holy Spirit uh, to not only in his presence among us to be felt, but Lord, that his work would continue to be done in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin this morning by asking you to just take a moment uh, to think of your next holiday. Uh, where are you going on holiday? Uh, perhaps in December, perhaps these coming holidays at the end of September. Imagine you're planning your next holiday, and I'm, I'm wanting you to do so to get us thinking about this particular passage, this prayer that is prayed in this benediction. As you think about your holiday, in your planning, uh, you would first have to decide on your envisaged destination. Where do you want to go? Is it going to be Kruger National Park? Is it going to be Polokwane? Or is it going to be Cape Town or elsewhere? If you choose to go to Cape Town, I think it would be correct for us to say that that would be the goal. That's the goal of your next holiday. You want to visit Cape Town. The next matter that needs to be considered is how will you get there? Uh, living in Pretoria, you want to get to Cape Town, and so you ask yourself the question, does it make sense for you to fly? Uh, would you prefer to catch a train or, or a bus, or will you drive? So the real question is what means of transport will you use to get to your goal or to accomplish your goal. Now, I want you to bear that in mind, just reminding you of um, the verse, particularly verse 21, the content of this prayer that the author prays. The, the, the first petition in this benediction is the stated goal for which the author prayed. This is what he is praying for, for these Hebrew uh, uh, readers and, and community. It's not to get to Cape Town, but he's praying for their progressive sanctification. He's praying for their spiritual progress. And very specifically, as we looked at last week, he's praying for that uh, process of repairing what is broken, that you may do his will. In the second petition, the second half of the verse, he expressed the means, the method by which this is to be accomplished. And last week I touched on this. We saw that this uh, progress in repairing what is broken in your life as a believer is, is not only brought about by instruction. It's not just what we learn from the Bible. It's not just the counsel that other people give to us. But it's also by the actual and effective work of God in you that is absolutely necessary. So we read that in verse 21, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. We also confirm that we believers really are in a privileged position. 
because we are no longer under the world described as those who are dominated, we could say, by distractive, sin-promoting influence of the prince of darkness. And it's to help you understand why people who are not Christians uh, do what they do. But we believers have the privilege of God at work in us toward the goal of our lives. Well, the question this morning that I want to try and answer is how does God work in us to do and to accomplish that which is pleasing in His sight? What means, what, what method does He use to accomplish this goal? And I want you to look again at the 21st verse and you'll find the answer. Very, very simple. Perhaps we, we, we don't see it because we're so familiar with it. But it says they're working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. It doesn't end with a full stop. It tells us the means through Jesus Christ. It is this answer through Jesus Christ that we need to explore. I want to explore this morning. And so since it is through Jesus Christ that the God of peace accomplishes the goal in you, my first point this morning, absolutely important and crucial, is you must have a relationship with Jesus. It makes sense. For you to accomplish your goal of getting to Cape Town, isn't it true that you need some sort of relationship with the means of transport? If we think about a car, if you choose to travel by car, you, you can borrow that a car to, to drive in to get you there. You can certainly hire a car. You can, you can own a car. Hopefully you don't steal a car. But, but, but you, you, you need a vehicle. You need the means of transport to get there. And so to accomplish the goal of the inworking of divine power so that you can complete this journey of sanctification, you must have a connected relationship with Jesus. And I want to think about that relationship for a few minutes in, in this message. You see, if the car is your means of transport to Cape Town, the God of peace uses Jesus as the means of you and I navigating life, this process, this journey of sanctification, all the way through to heaven. And so you and my connectedness to Jesus is actually the key to making spiritual progress. Can't make spiritual progress if there isn't this connected relationship with Jesus. And so I want to ask the question, what kind of relationship is needed? What is it that we are speaking about? Is it any kind of relationship or is this specific kind of relationship? Well, we do need to establish, I believe it is a specific type of relationship, and, and we need to establish what it is because it's the, it's, it's, it, it brings about the crucial starting point if you're hoping to find yourself uh, in a place of, of meaningful help to overcome temptation and sin. Remember that sanctification is a process of God making us more and more 
holy, which means that we need to overcome sin. It means that we need to have victory over things like anger and greed. I jotted down a list here, uh, pride or lust or um, uh, slander or racism or um, uh, bitterness or, or hatred. Th- these things that stir in us that are not pleasing to God, that, 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 that we need to grow in and, and overcome, comes about only once we've started the journey of sanctification, having the right relationship with Jesus. Now, we live in a cultural Christian context, which means that there are many people who claim to be Christians only because they've been raised within a Christian family or community. So we need to go beyond that and understand that mere association with Jesus, simply like you have association with a neighbor or a colleague, or even familiarity with Jesus, like you would know a celebrity singer or perhaps a celebrity preacher, is totally inadequate for this particular means identified in this prayer. Nothing less, very important, nothing less than what Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. Every effort, practically, if you've struggled with sin, every effort outside of being born again that you make to overcome any kind of sin will end up, if it's it's apart from you being born again, will end up in legalism, legalistic bondage, or frustrating failure. Just in and of yourself saying, I'm going to do better. I'm going to turn over a new page. I'm, I'm going to start again. And then in a week's time, you fail again. Because it's, it's self-effort. It fails. And, 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 and it just doesn't work. And so without the regenerating work of the Spirit, where the inward deadness of the soul toward God is brought to life, No progress can be made. Very important for us to understand that. It is at the point of being made a new creature in Christ that sanctification can begin. And and that goal that he is working towards can be achieved. And Perhaps to put it a little bit simply this morning, isn't it true? If you don't start a journey... You can talk as much as you like about visiting London or Sydney or Cape Town or Polokwane, but until you get into a car and you begin the journey, unless you purchase that airplane ticket and get on a plane, you will not reach your destination. And so we're back to basics. The personal repentance from sin. Each one of us is required to repent from our sin and place our faith in Jesus. Believing, believing that you're totally dependent on him for the forgiveness of this debt of sin that you owe to God. And so the important question this morning is, are you born again? Are you convinced that there's the reality of that inward work of the Spirit that has taken place in your heart? But there's a second question. That's the beginning of the journey. What about the ongoing journey of sanctification? If we go back to the analogy of of, uh, the holiday to Cape Town and deciding to use a car as a means of transport, 
Isn't it true that you don't have to be a mechanic or even a car enthusiast to know that you need fuel to empower the engine? You can have a car, but if you don't put in petrol or you don't put in diesel, depending on what kind of car it is, the car simply won't be able to travel to your desired destination. And so in a similar way, I want to use that analogy to show you that as a believer, at the beginning of your journey of faith, you receive from God a new nature. Some of the older authors called that the principle of grace is actually imparted to you when you were born again. But what we need to see here is that that initial work of the Spirit of God in your life is not in and of itself enough to empower you, to enable you to reach the destination of sanctification. Let me quote Pink. He says, God has not provided to us such supplies of grace that we are self-sufficient. That is after conversion. No, indeed, he placed us, he placed in Christ all fullness of grace for us to draw on. John chapter 1 verse 16, where the uh, writer John testifies, the fullness we have received, grace upon grace. And so you and I, as we live our lives as Christians, we need fresh and repeated needed supplies of grace given to us daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, God working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight. Well, I want to move on now to, to, to the actual uh, method and, and the means. There, there, there can be no imparting, there can be no providing of grace for us from the God of peace except by Jesus. And so the God of peace works in you, in me, through Christ. And he does that in a number of ways that I'm going to try and, and touch on uh, today. Uh, the first way that the God of peace works in you, that which is pleasing in his sight, is through Jesus because of mediation. So just an illustration, when I was a young uh, pastor in my early 30s, we were in a church down in KwaZulu-Natal. And uh, I think in our first year in that church, I received a call one evening, a frantic, frantic phone call from a lady and she was in tears and said to me that her and her husband were having difficulties and could I please come and, and, and speak to them and try and help them. They were at, at war, I think, with each other is probably the best way to describe it. Well, I went out to them. They lived out on a plot outskirts of Peter Maritzburg and uh, got to the house, uh, went into the house, settled things down, and we were talking and we were pleading and negotiating and, and in a context where there was a lot of uh, emotion and, and anger. And after a while, they seemed, they seemed to settle down and be reconciled. So a little bit later, as we walked to the car, back to my car, uh, husband and wife with me, the husband said something that triggered fury and anger in his wife, so much so that, 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 that I saw in those moments all my efforts of mediation evaporated. You know what she did? 
she picked up a 14-inch monkey wrench, Bobby Jan Spanner. She threw it at her husband. She missed him and hit his car and smashed the windscreen to smithereens. And I left as soon as possible. <laughs> you see, my efforts in mediation failed, was not successful. I was not able to bring about peaceful settlement between this antagonistic husband and wife. The dispute between them, we could speak about it as a wedge, we could speak about enmity, but there was a divide. The dispute between them remained in place. But when we look at the book of Hebrews and uh, considering this, this phrase through Jesus, unlike my failed efforts on that day, in a far more serious dispute, Jesus successfully does the work of mediation. You see, he effectively resolves the dispute between God, who is uncompromisingly holy on the one side, and, and repentant, sinful people on the other side of the equation. He successfully mediates uh, the settling of a dispute. And not only as an initial starting point in your relationship with God, but along the way in the walk of faith, Jesus, on the basis of this atoning work that he's done, mediates continued peace between you and God. And remember that you are told, as we are all told as Christians, not to sin. But we do sin. And yet he continues to mediate peace. Just one example from 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. I'm writing, yes, says John, uh, uh, these things to you so that you may not sin. In other words, get to the destination, pursue sanctification, be holy. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, practically, what does that mean for you and for me as we live our lives in the present. Because of the mediation of Jesus, God, and, and don't forget who God is, God, who has been unfavorably disposed toward you as a sinful person, is now favorably disposed toward you as a believer. That's why it's through Jesus. That wonderful thing, I mean, to know that God is, is not against me, that, that He's favorably disposed toward me, and, and because He's favorably disposed toward believers, God is working in you and He's working in me towards this good goal of that which is pleasing in His sight. And so as you come to God, you need to be encouraged. You don't come to Him as judge, the one who condemns or the one who punishes to come as one who is a recipient of his redeeming love. And so you stand before God as forgiven and accepted. You live under God. He's your heavenly Father who's constantly, back to the theme, repairing what is broken, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight. So the work of mediation, this favorable disposition that God has toward his children, toward his sheep, 
But the second way, uh, why the God of peace works in you, which is pleasing in his sight, is through Jesus because of his intercession. So mediation in the first instance, intercession. These, these are uh, realities that work together. My own testimony in this recent season of my life, my wife and my family, we have benefited and appreciate the repeated uh, comment from people who are praying for you. It's wonderful to know that uh, we are not just left and, and, and that people just uh, ignore our difficulties and hardships. It's a wonderful reality to be part of a local church, uh, a family that cares enough to be praying uh, for each other. But I want you to take it further than that. Jesus prays for his sheep. Jesus praying for you is a gigantic, it's a huge step up from those prayers that we pray for each other. We have a template in the Bible, John chapter 17, giving us an indication of, of the prayer, the content of the prayer that he prays. It's not limited to this. I just picked out uh, two uh, of this, the, the, the specific uh, requests that he puts to his father in the context that relate to our context in this verse. The one is to be kept from the evil one. Jesus is before the throne of grace, before the Father. He's praying for you to be kept from the damage that the evil one would do. And, and he prays for their sanctification. He's praying for this process of us being made more and more holy. And if I could add to that, don't forget mediation. God, uh, the God of peace, who is at work in you, is not only favorably disposed to you, but, uh, but, but, but he's, uh, we have Jesus interceding to him who is now favorably disposed to you. Your struggles are known to him. Our hardships, our difficulties, our challenges are known to him. And he prays for us. I want to quote A.W. Pinker. He says, All the gracious operations of the Spirit within the redeemed, from their generation to their glorification, from when they're born again to when they die and go to heaven, that's essentially what that says, are conducted according to the mediation of the Savior and are in response to his intercession for us. Mediation, intercession, intertwined, bringing you uh, to that place of, of, of being a, a recipient of God's continued working in your life. I do want to just add here, it does not mean that we should neglect the Father and the Spirit. And in one sermon, you can't do everything, so I just want to, again, uh, read a quotation here. God has so contrived things that each divine person is exalted in the esteem of his people. So we don't just hold Jesus in high honor. We hold the Father in honor. We hold the Spirit in honor. Why? The Father is the fountain of grace, the one in whom it originates. The Son in his mediatorial office as the channel through which grace flows, and the Spirit as the actual communicator of that. Mediation, intercession, and now I want to introduce to you a third way in which we benefit uh, 
that, that God works in you, which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus. And I've invented a word. It's not a theological word I found anywhere else. I've called it filtration. So, do you know what a fuel filter is? Or an oil filter? Or an air filter? Or a, a washing machine filter? Or a dishwasher filter? I'm sure you've found one or many of these things in the course of your, your, your lives. The function of a filter is to strain out rubbish. To strain out debris or um, uh, what did I call it over here? Uh, contaminants. Because those contaminants, if they get into the engine of your car, will cause your engine to cease. It could cause that quite easily. So you need the purity of fuel to get through. And so if we use that analogy in the context of this prayer, with the presence of contamination in mind, think about the best, the, the, the best of our duties that, that are even produced in us by grace, by divine grace. Don't forget they're still from us. So what do I mean by that? When we sing, when we preach, when I preach, when you go about witnessing or, or praying or, or, or serving, the point is that there's still something of the old man that stirs its head inside of us, working in us. Could be in singing, uh, not pointing fingers at anybody, but certainly there could be a motive a misplaced motive in terms of, well, it places me in a place of prominence. It could be preaching where uh, we feel we draw attention or get the attention of, of many people that, that, that is egotistical, that feeds pride. So these, these polluted works can only be accepted, acceptable to, to God based on the merits of Christ. And so, so what that means, and why I use the word filtration, is that, that Jesus filters out our mixed motives or our insincere actions. This is for the believer. Or superficial efforts or sloppy attitudes or even distracting circumstances to make our works pleasing in His sight. So sin is mixed in all of what we do, our best efforts, and therefore we depend on Jesus, our mediator, our intercessor, not just for the forgiveness of sin and the sanctification of who we are, but for the acceptance of our worship and our service. And there's a scripture that speaks to this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up to a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Notice what it says then, through Jesus Christ. Number three, which is my conclusion, I've just called it implications. And there are three implications I want to raise. Number one, in the course of your spiritual life, you must keep in mind the goal. You must keep, in, keep the goal in mind. The God of peace at work in you is toward the goal of sanctification. That's God's purpose. He's, 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 he's wanting and, and He's working in you to bring about holiness. 
And so anything he does in terms of the molding and the mending and the repairing is, is toward holiness. And here's the important thing, because some churches get this wrong. It's not towards comfort and convenience. Many people think, you know, God's prayers, Jesus praying for us will bring us comfort and convenience. No, not necessarily. It's to bring about holiness. So God's work in you doesn't necessarily remove the pain of a difficult circumstance. Anybody here, many of you have lost a loved one. You think as a believer you don't feel the pain of that loss. And simply because we know that God is at work in us and through us, the pain doesn't easily go away. It could be an illness. But you know what it does do? God's work in us involves the empowering, enabling you to respond, enabling us to change, being molded more and more into the moral likeness of Jesus. I believe the Apostle Paul learned that lesson in 2 Corinthians 12. To keep me from becoming conceited because of the revelations I received from God, there came to me a thorn in the flesh. And when he prayed... The thorn wasn't removed, but he received grace. Sanctification was accomplished. You see, your responses may still be with tears. Of course, we are people. We feel the pain of what's happening around us. There may be excruciating heartache, but his work in you will always be toward the mending and enabling, accepting and submitting to the will of God. Number two. You cannot bypass the designated means. There's no shortcut to holiness, to instant sanctification. It's only through Jesus that the God of peace will do the work of mending that which is broken. One of the lessons I learned preparing for this is that grace is something given again and again and again and again because we need it again and again from the fullness of Jesus. How does that work? We believers are the body and he is the head. And so there is this mysterious spiritual reality that we can't see. And at your conversion, you're immersed into this body by the Spirit, placing you as a believer in union with the head, Jesus, enabling you to receive grace upon grace. Number three, you must not lose sight of who counts most. God is at work mending what is broken to produce trophies of grace. Why do I say that? The work of God in converting men and women is to bring glory to God. Primarily speaking, undeserving men and women who were lost in sin, who were disobedient, who were naturally uh, antagonistic toward God, God rescues. And it's a display of, of, of God's love and, and grace and, and mercy. And, and in the end, when we get to the end of, of this era, God will have turned the lives of people from every nation, tribe, and language from wayward 
we could even say hell-bound, selfish ways, he would have turned them to worshippers. And, and so being there, we need to recognize ultimately being there is not my doing or your doing. Salvation is of the Lord. God gets the credit. And so there's, there's no other conclusion than what is written at the end of this benediction. After praying the prayer, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The immediate context is referring to Jesus. The ascription of glory. The ascribing of praise definitely to Jesus. But as we read further in the Scriptures, it's not to the exclusion of the Father and the Spirit. We are to ascribe praise to the Father as the fountain of grace, the Son through whom the grace flows to us, and the Spirit who is actively communicating and bestowing grace to us. And so just a conclusion, a final comment this morning to the Father and to the Son and to the Spirit. Be glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, I do pray that the significance of your work through Jesus would resonate with our hearts as we continue to shared together in the elements of the bread and the cup, pointing to this great work, this atoning work concluded on the cross of Calvary, but also for the ongoing effect that it has on each and every one who is a believer. And so even today, there might be some who are standing in need of grace. May it be, could it be in a time of terrible disappointment and loss? Could it be, Lord, just the reality of just hardship uh, at work or in the home or in illness? The context of relationship, we, we, we pray just for your grace. May we each one be able to testify, as Paul did, your grace is sufficient for me. And so as we partake, uh, thank you for these elements before us. And may we share together today in meaningful fellowship to the glory of your name. Amen.